Hi, my name is Patricia Teixeira, and I'm a counsel in Ropes and Grace Finance Group, specializing in fund finance transactions. Here with me today is Anastasia Kau, Managing Director and Partner at Fund Finance Partners, an independent advisory firm that advises fund sponsors on debt financing solutions, including NAV financing. Anastasia is also a former Ropes colleague and the co-chair of the Fund Finance Association Diversity in Fund Finance Committee. Ropes and Gray partnered with Anastasia and Fund Finance Partners last fall to write an article about what we were seeing at the time in the market with respect to NAV facilities. Back then, we mentioned how this was still a market in its very early stages with generally very bespoke terms and everything seemed customizable to the particular transaction and the specific needs of the sponsor. Fast forward 10 months and there's not one week that goes by where we don't get an inbound question from a sponsor or another market participant looking to learn more about this product. So we thought it was time to reconnect to see how the market has developed in the last year or so. Anastasia, to get us started, can you describe in broad strokes what we mean when we refer to NAV facilities and some reasons a sponsor might consider adding it to its portfolio? Sure, Patricia, and thank you so much for having me. So a NAV or net asset value credit facility is one that looks to either the underlying investments of a fund or other investment vehicle and or the cash flows or distributions or other amounts received on account of those investments as the main collateral and or you know basis for the credit facility. To draw a distinction to another popular product that sponsors use and are likely more familiar with, a subscription credit facility, there, instead of looking down toward the assets and cash flows from those assets in a subscription credit facility, by contrast, you look up to the uncalled capital commitments of the investors in the fund or investment vehicle. Additionally, uh, aside from the difference in collateral packages and structures, uh, there are differences uh, in the NAV market. There are both term and revolving NAV facilities. There are different negotiating points, different focuses and underwriting points for the credit facility providers and sponsors. And NAV credit facilities are used both for what we call, quote, defensive and, quote, offensive reasons. Some of those reasons that sponsors might consider using NAV financing, and we are increasingly seeing sponsors use NAV financing, include injecting liquidity into existing portfolio companies, add-on acquisitions, distributions, and commitment period acquisitions to fill in fundraising gaps and or to tuck in another asset prior to the expiration of the commitment period. So it's really uh, a, a still quite a bespoke, quite customizable, flexible product. And we have seen an extraordinary increase in interest in the product, particularly from private equity fund sponsors, and believe that within a few years, nearly every fund sponsor, private equity growth buyout especially, will be using this product you know, strategically and to improve returns and achieve some of these other objectives. Thanks, Anastasia. Yeah, you just mentioned this, uh, you know, growth you've seen in the market, which matches our experience. I think two things that we have observed from the sponsor's perspective that might explain, at least in part, such growth are, one, that sponsors are holding assets for longer periods of time, which often means the need to, as you mentioned, additional liquidity um, to see an asset through a rough patch or to wait until better exit opportunities materialize. 
And two, and somewhat related to the first point, is that sponsors are often in the market raising their next fund before they have returned capital to their LPs from prior vintage funds. So there is some pressure to generate liquidity to return capital to investors. Can you speak to where the market is today in terms of like size and participants and where you see the potential for growth and any thought on what's fueling such growth? Sure. So there there has really been exponential growth in the NAV market. I think just in the past year, uh, we've probably seen half a dozen new, uh, you know, large and or uh, quote unquote serious lenders, uh, participants entering the market. And uh, let me take a step back. So there are bank and alternative NAV lending markets. So traditional depository banks, you know, some of them have NAV lending desks. There are also the predominant, you know, portion of the market are the alternative NAV lenders. These include private credit funds who lend to other funds. And they're very different markets. It's hard to overstate that point. Uh, They have different loan-to-value or LTV ranges that they lend in. Some require scheduled amortization and or cash sweeps. They have different interest rate spreads, different fees, including ticking fees on delayed draws. For example, it can be cheaper for an alternative lender that just raised a fund and can reserve capital for a longer period of time versus another alternative lender that may not be in that position. Moik, uh, make holes, among other differences. It's really apples and oranges. And we make it our business to have info on where every lender is at in terms of balance sheet, uh, where they're at in their fund cycle, if it's an alternative lender, terms, appetite, et cetera. So new lenders have been entering the market to close the gap on supply and demand as savvy sponsors pick up on how beneficial NAV financing can be. Other factors for this uh, growth include that we're in a high interest rate environment, making it harder to raise debt at a portfolio company level. And the market has been maturing. So investors are more familiar with the product and are more accepting of it. And they see it as a good use of net asset value, for example, to avoid the fire sale or or less advantageous exit of an asset, maybe at an inopportune time in the market. And because it's a product where the sponsor is borrowing against the value of NAV in a portfolio that it has built, uh, the investors tend to be much more supportive than, say, some investors are with respect to subscription financing. Let's talk about the typical collateral package in NAV facilities. So the borrower on the NAV facility is either the fund itself or one or more holding companies below the fund. So from a lender's perspective, as they are looking at the assets of the fund for repayment, as opposed to, as you mentioned, the uncalled commitments from funds investors in a traditional capital cost subscription facility, lenders need to get comfortable that the assets they are relying on for repayment are usually highly leveraged at the portfolio company level already. So how do lenders think about this structural subordination, and the collateral package, and ways in which they can protect themselves in a downturn scenario? And I'm sure you alluded to it already, but you know, different lenders think about um, collateral package differently. You know, if you're thinking traditional banks versus alternative lenders, banks and credit funds think of collateral packages differently, and uh, it's in part because traditional banks are more accustomed to underwriting quote all assets liens, and so bank nav lenders are often looking for 
uh, a pledge of equity interest, perhaps in that intermediate holding company and or some kind of fund level recourse if they're lending to a, a subsidiary a holding company or SPV. And alternative lenders have been able to get comfortable sometimes lending just based on the cash flows coming out from the assets with no equity pledge at all. And the lender's position in the capital structure and based on the collateral package, it all ties together and relates to the loan to value, what the sponsor can and is willing to pledge, and the lender's position in the capital structure. Uh, most lenders in this space understand that many, especially private equity, you know, sponsors and portfolios have asset level leverage and are able to get comfortable you know, that there's enough net asset value that even after repayment of any, you know, portfolio company debt, uh, that they would be able to recover on the loan that they're making, the NAV financing. Uh, additionally, uh, there are, you know, secured, unsecured, preferred equity options in this space. But the purpose of the collateral is really protection in an enforcement or downside scenario and the ability to control distributions or, or, get some of that cash coming up from the portfolio is what the lenders are looking for. It's also worth mentioning that uh, private equity funds in particular in, in the equity ownership or organizational documents and or the asset level financing documents, there are often restrictions on pledges, whether direct or indirect, and often a need for some kind of consent uh, to permit the NAV financing. And so sponsors will want to work with, you know, capable, experienced, knowledgeable counsel and advisors to make sure that when they're installing NAV financing and agreeing to a collateral package, that they can actually give the lender what they anticipate they can give the lender. Um, and structuring facilities and doing that sort of diligence is something that we specialize in and, and do upfront. And I know the ROPES team is very capable at assisting sponsors with that sort of diligence from the legal perspective as well. Yeah, so the, the discussion on the collateral package is, is a great segue to the, my next point, which um, I want to touch a little bit on the cash sweeps and the repayment mechanics, which in my experience is one provision that gets heavily negotiated in um, any NAV facility because it directly impacts how quickly the lender will get repaid and how much flexibility the sponsor has to retain and potentially distribute a portion of the investment returns while the facility is still outstanding. Can you talk a little bit about the different ways the sweep mechanic can be set up? And I'm, I'm sure I know the answer to this, but generally the differences you see depending on the type of asset and lender. Yes, absolutely. And you're so right. This is one of the key provisions in negotiating uh, topics in these credit facilities. There's a lot of nuance here depending on a variety of factors. For example, sometimes lenders will only sweep cash from the quote unquote core or most valuable, say three to four assets, but not the rest. Sweeps can vary depending on the loan to value, the number of assets, whether the fund still has unfunded capital commitments in excess of any subscription credit facility obligations there may be. And things uh, often ratchet up when you get down to a certain number of assets. A well-diversified pool uh, or portfolio will have a larger cushion. Bank sweeps for NAV lending can be tighter than alternative lenders would impose. You won't often see a well-diversified NAV loan uh, that has a sale of an asset for 
which at least a portion of it can be swept by the bank. Uh, one of the most important things to note in this context is that if a sponsor can successfully structure cash sweeps to not interrupt their recyclable capital or recallable capital ability, they can really potentially expand the fund size if they can avoid the sweeps on recallable capital. And we've had a lot of success structuring NAV financing for sponsors to do that. Additionally, I would note that sponsors with leverage in the negotiating sense can often negotiate carve-outs from sweep requirements in advance. So for example, if a sponsor anticipates that an asset exit is going to come up, you know, say in, within the next year, and they're putting in place the NAV financing, they can negotiate to ensure that they or their LPs are able to receive distributions from that planned or anticipated asset exit um, during that first year of the NAV credit facility. Also, proceeds uh, that are required to be swept um, versus think everything in excess of a maximum loan to value can, can sometimes be retained, but it largely depends on, the, uh, to sum up, the diversity of the portfolio, the performance of the portfolio, and uh, loan to value. And you'll see, you know, with less diversity or with, you know, more of a struggle on performance, uh, the cash sweep requirements often ratchet up because the lender's, quote, cushion and um, protection and uh, what they're looking to in terms of repayment is reduced in those situations. So it makes sense that they would want to sweep more cash to get repaid if there's any kind of lack of diversity or uh, distress with the portfolio. This all makes a lot of sense. So I'm switching gears again a little bit. And as we all personally experienced earlier this year, a lot has happened in the fund finance market. And I think market participants are still absorbing the impact of somewhat limited supply in the traditional subscription facility market. And I know that our sponsor clients are getting used to the new normal in terms of interest rates and other terms on the subline market. Um, can you speak to what impact, if any, did the collapse of the three regional banks in the U.S. earlier this year had in the fund finance market as a whole and in the NAV market in particular? Sure. And uh, it's worth noting that in addition to um, what happened with the three banks, uh, that prior to that, banks' balance sheets were constrained uh, in part because of capital retention and regulatory provisions that went into effect within the last, uh, say, year or two. So some of the factors impacting them, both the subscription market and relatedly the NAV market are those balance sheet constraints. Also, some alternative lenders have available capital constraints. The market is still really working to figure out the supply-demand imbalance. Um, we've seen in relatively recent months, pricing on subscription lines have generally gone up, along with greater demand, reduced supply. There's been some scarcity of subscription leverage and difficulty for fund sponsors getting what they need. And whether it's an emerging manager to the largest sponsors, some banks have been uh, bringing down the, the limits on relationships, on products um, that they're requiring. And so the scarcity of the subscription leverage market has been leading to a greater need for NAV financing and a greater interest from sponsors because that market is not as similarly constrained to the subscription lending market. 
generally, spreads have been going up, advance rates have been going down, lenders have become a bit more conservative, but there is, you know, something acute and specific to the subscription lending market, such that there's more of a need. Um, we anticipate the market will sort of figure itself out, so to speak. And we've already seen signs of that, even within the last few weeks. Um, and uh, accordingly, it's been impacting, you know, the NAV market, but we think the trend and in the greater need and desire for NAV financing is only going to continue even after things sort of stabilize with the subscription lending market, because it's such an advantageous product for sponsors and such a broad and flexible product. Yeah, I agree. Um, if anything, I think the current environment is a net positive for now facilities to develop. And mm -hmm. you know, anyone interested in entering this market as a NAV lender. And certainly like NAV facilities are in everyone's mind. Earlier this summer in the European Fund Finance Symposium, there were at least two panels fully dedicated to NAV, but the topic seemed to make appearance at every other conversation too. One interesting point of discussion then was whether the structural considerations um, that were initially considered like hurdles to put an AF facility in place are still um, a hurdle to be overcome. And the consensus seemed to be that the market has worked through these and generally came up with ways to structure around them. What are your thoughts on this? And in your experience, is fund documentation in generally becoming more flexible to allow for NAV facilities in the future? I think one thing that um, it's somewhat related that we face is the question of like, you know, how limited partners are thinking about the use of NAV and if their thinking has evolved in, in the last years uh, in respect to that. And then if you have any final thoughts or predictions of where this market is going, also please share. Sure. So to take sort of the broader market point first, um, Janet Yellen's comments, you know, I think it was earlier this summer, lead us to believe that we are not done with consolidation in the regional bank market and more compression on top tier lenders, a greater need for insurance capital, et cetera. We've been working uh, with more insurance companies and rating agencies recently working with our clients to get ratings on portfolios to obtain greater lending availability for our clients, uh, asset managers at a lower cost of capital. So there's been more entrance. Um, the, the market seems to recognize, you know, that the greater need and, and different parties are stepping up to fill that need at different price points. And all of these factors that we've discussed are leading to, you know, liquidity shortages for funds and sponsors, meaning there's more of a need now than ever for NAV financing. Uh, it's worth reiterating, structuring can make or break a NAV facility, and it is critical to get it right before the parties get too far down the road. Uh, we typically do a, a deep dive and analysis into the fund documents and the entire situation uh, and advise our clients on feasibility, likely terms are going to get in the market. We have um, hundreds of data points on these facilities and know where all the lenders are at. Uh, but structuring, especially early on, how that facility is put together is critical to success. I would also note on the structuring point, there are numerous workable structures to take into account tax and other considerations. If sponsors are thinking, well, I have a very complicated structure you know, we have tax considerations. How are we going to put NAV financing in place? We've pretty much been able to advise sponsors and get NAV financing in place for, for nearly every structure you can imagine. 
you asked about, uh, you know, how are LPs thinking about the product? We've had a great deal of success coming up with creative structures that satisfy both the four corners of the fund documents, as well as the LPs or LPACs. As I stated, uh, LPs seem to be very supportive overall because NAV financing is a product that the sponsor obtains based on the value of the portfolio that they have built, as opposed to using the uncalled LPs capital commitments instead of calling their capital. And uh, NAV financing can often be used, you know, later in the stages in a fund's life after there are no uncalled equity capital commitments remaining, maybe after portfolio company financing is tapped out or it would be more advantageous to obtain NAV financing uh, or on better terms than, you know, portfolio company financing. So I think LPs are are seeing the benefits, seeing the rationales for it. It's improving fund returns, you know, liquidity situations, all of the benefits we spoke about earlier. So final predictions on where the market is going. We think within a few years, every savvy fund sponsor, particularly in private equity, will be using NAV financing. Um, many of them already are, and it seems to be a competitive advantage that's really making a difference. You know, this manager is in this quartile versus that quartile. And one of the difference makers could be NAV financing. And we think that's going to continue uh, even after hopefully the subscription lending market stabilizes. Thank you so much, Anastasia, for joining me today for this interesting conversation. And thank you to our listeners. For more information on fund financing for private investment funds, including NAV facilities, please don't hesitate to contact one of us or visit our website at ropesgray.com. You can also subscribe and listen to other Ropes and Gray podcasts wherever you regularly listen to your podcasts, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thanks again for listening.